Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley, barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Fritz. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, Trinity Church. That was a little weak, folks. Good morning, Trinity. Oh, that's much better. Great. Good to see you. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, for those of you that join us online, thank you for participating this way and, and connecting and worshiping with us. And just encourage you to grab a Bible and just, just continue to engage with this service and with the message in just a few moments. Um, man, what, what beautiful truth we've just been singing, right? A good, good father who is perfect in all of his ways. Now, it doesn't always seem that way to us, right? Sometimes we think, wait, God, why? And we're going to see that in our passage this morning. But He is a good, good God. And because of that, as Allison said, His ways are always right for us. And that's even when the hard times come. And Jason mentioned this and prayed for the family, but I just add my, uh, my word of condolences and, uh, and heartbrokenness over... Um, losing a dear friend and fellow elder and worker this past week, and Don Harris. We're going to miss him tremendously, and uh, uh, just want you to know that and hear that, that we so appreciated his service, his wisdom, his, his love, his input and, in, into our church, and uh, we will miss him. Pray for Francis. Please do be praying for her and the family. Today is their day to gather, and at the graveside, just to be together, mourn together as a family but as the Bible tells us, we do not grieve as those without hope. And I know that their family is the same way. They have their hope in Jesus Christ. They know that Don is in the presence of Jesus right now. We know that too. And that is our hope. That is our life. That is our joy, even in the midst of the sorrow of death. And uh, so please remember them and be praying for them and Francis especially for this week. And uh, we also have some really great news just to share with you and answer to prayer and, and a really a, a thank you to you. So this weekend we got a response from um, the Vincents. So Michael and Karen are missionaries of Trinity down in Honduras. They run a girl's home called Casa de Abbey, rescuing girls from just tragic, difficult situations. And because of your giving in the fall, they were able to do this beach trip last week. And so they sent us some pictures of these precious little girls with Michael and Karen at the beach, enjoying the sun and the water and the sand. And, and uh, it's just wonderful. And it's all the hard things that those girls have gone through in their lives to be able to have this kind of joy, experience the love that's poured out to them, the love of Jesus Christ, 
that Michael and Karen and the workers there are providing. This is what it's about. And you folks, Trinity Church, we have had a part in this. There's a partner ministry, and your giving made this past week possible for them. So thanks for doing that, and they want you to know thank you for um, helping them take these girls away on this beach trip last week. So let's pause for a minute. Let's give our thanks to God, and let's prepare ourselves for His Word this morning. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we are thankful. This is a privilege to be able to voice our praises to you, whether right here in this room or at home or wherever folks may be listening and participating in worship. We thank you that we have this joy of uniting our hearts and singing about our good, good Father and singing about your Son, Jesus, that you sent to be our Redeemer, our Rescuer, all that we've sung this morning as well. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that He is Lord of all. Thank you for that truth and that reminder today. And so, Lord, we just bask in that truth of Your love for us. But we also want to respond to that because the result of our salvation, the result of this joy and love that You've given to us must Stir in us a desire to live for you, a desire to walk by faith, a desire to honor you in all that we do. So, Lord, I pray that that would be our response today. And as we come to your word, if there's anything that you point out to us that we need to respond to, help us to be ready to respond, to hear you and to listen and obey. That is our prayer this morning. Lord, I pray that you would guard my words, help me to accurately communicate the, your word today, this, this truth that you have for us, and may your living word and living spirit be at work in us to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, even today. And Lord, thank you that you are using the gifts of your people to provide the gospel message all over this world, including to those precious girls right there in Honduras. Thank you for the great week that they had. And Lord, may we now, with thankful hearts, Come to your word, ready to listen and obey. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen. <clears throat> so there's a show that used to be on, in fact, I've just heard it's making a comeback, called Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Any of you fans of that show back when it was on? Okay, I see a few hands out here. The, the, the basic premise, it started in 2003. This, it, since there's been dozens of spinoffs of other kind of home renovation shows, but I think this was the first, at least the one I know about. And so the premise was they would come in, they'd find these families that were deserving families, you know, in some way had a need, and their home maybe was kind of falling apart. And so this crew would come in, and in one week, they would renovate that home. And so if you remember Ty Pennington, this kind of outgoing was the leader, is the, kind of the host of the show, and you go in and find these families and talk to them and find out some of their hopes and dreams with, to do with their home, and then they'd send them on vacation for a week. And in one week, their crews would move in, and the, these drastic extreme makeovers, the name of the show, of this home, so that when the family came back, there's the big reveal of all the changes in their home. Now... And people knew about this because on television, so they, there's some, you know, some basis for faith there. But it still took a great deal of faith, can you imagine? You just walk away from your home for a week, and they didn't ask you what you wanted. They, they, did, they didn't tell you what was happening. You didn't know until you came back a week later what they had done to your house. 
You just had to come back hoping that you liked it and believing that they knew better what to do, how to do it, how to decorate it, whatever. That's the case for us in our spiritual renovation too. So as we think about that today, we can take those, those people off the screen right now. Think about your own heart, your own life your own renovation of your soul. There's got to be an element of faith in us where we say, God, you know better how to renovate and restore my life. You know better than I do. There's a step of faith that says, God, take my life and make it what it needs to be. And that's what we're going to see in our passage today. It's really what the whole book of Ruth is about. It's about the God's ability to step in and restore and renew and redeem. And so if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, or electronic device, your phone, whatever, turn to Ruth chapter 3 this morning. If you're at home, again, please grab a Bible and follow right along with us. Our series called Restored is about this work of God to restore and renew and redeem our lives. And we see the example in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. Our, our title this morning is, There is a Redeemer. We sang the chorus, right? There is a Redeemer. And they're going to find, Naomi and Ruth will find their Redeemer, at least the beginning, hopes of a Redeemer in our passage today. But he's also, as you've been hearing us say, a picture of the Redeemer, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So here we are. Let me just remind you what's going on. Ruth and Naomi have stood at a crossroads of faith right here. And so, <laughs> that's okay, we can have two sermons going on at the same time. So, here we are, Ruth and Naomi, they're, they're at this crossroads of faith in the story. And remember what's happened. They've, they're both widows. They both lost their husbands. So the story starts in great sorrow and grief. And they're coming back to Bethlehem, Naomi's hometown, and as they come back, they don't know what, what's going to meet them here. They have nothing. And so Ruth begins to go and glean in the fields to get something for them. Now, just so, so you know, you, you saw a video of this that Nick brought last week, and you got a sense of what gleaning is. It's really like dumpster diving in our day. Really, because you go behind anything that the harvesters don't want, anything they leave behind, you pick it up off the ground. That's what Ruth was doing. That's gleaning. Taking the leftover and the cast-offs that nobody else wants. She's bringing this home. This is what's keeping them alive. But as last, in last week, remember we saw Ruth just so happened to end up in the field of a guy named Boaz. This landowner who took special notice of her and made sure she was protected and, and that other people were watching out for her and that there'd be plenty left behind for her to pick up. And it just so happened that this guy Boaz was a kinsman, a relative of Naomi. We're going to see the significance of that more and more as we go through the book. We heard in Nick's sermon last week, he, he made reference to this, that these just so happened Events were not accidents at all. They were the providence of God. God working behind the scenes to provide for Naomi and Ruth. 
even though Ruth was a foreigner. And that was an emphasis last week. That Ruth, this undeserving widow coming from a, an enemy nation, and yet God is caring for her. And chapter 2 ends with Ruth continuing to glean in the fields of Boaz through the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And so Nick made mention, it was about two months' time. And so we've got this little window, this little break between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Two months pass. And now it's time for a step of faith. And so in this chapter today, what we're going to see is that there are faith actions that are involved for us to see God's restoration at work in our lives. God is at work, but He calls us by faith to join Him in that work. And here's the first part of that. That is when faith invites a risk. Sometimes faith involves a risk on our part. So you come to chapter 3 and you, you heard what Fritz read. You can almost begin to feel this resurging hope in Naomi's words in chapter 3. She comes back to Bethlehem, remember in chapter 1, and she's grief-stricken. And she says to her friends that she meets again that she hasn't seen for 10 years, she says, don't call me Naomi, which, me, Naomi, which means pleasant. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because that represented her heart, her soul. That's what she felt like. She was bitter. But as she sees God's hand, God's hand in this placing Ruth in the fields of Boaz and in the favor of Boaz, her hope begins to hatch this plan. It's a plan that requires some faith. It's a plan that involves some risk. Because she, she desperately wanted a home and a family for Ruth. And she knew the Israelite customs, so she instructs Ruth on how to approach Boaz about taking this role of the kinsman, or as the NIV translates it, the guardian redeemer. We'll talk a lot more about that next, next week when we get to chapter 4, we get the full expression of that. But she is preparing Ruth to go and make this request of Boaz because he is a relative. And so, as you heard in that story, she has her kind of get herself all prepared and ready. And by the way, for Ruth to dress up as poor as they were, it probably was not like her Sunday best kind of thing. It probably meant getting out of her mourning clothes, her widow's clothes, and showing that she is ready to move on beyond her mourning. And so, she tells her to to come and, and reach out to Boaz because he is the one, this is what we saw last week, as kinsman redeemer that could bring provision and protection through marriage. And that's the key. It's not mentioned by word, but that's where this is going. So understand, what, what's happening here is a really bold step, but Boaz was not required by law to do this. Naomi didn't know whether he, how he would respond to this request, She's sending Ruth into this area at night to approach Boaz. And so there's all kinds of things that could have gone wrong with that scenario. These were the risks, and yet Naomi believed that God was at work here. And even for Ruth, think about Ruth. In verse 5, she says to Naomi, I will do whatever you say. There's tremendous faith in Naomi's faith. See, faith was still new for Ruth. She had just come to learn how to be, trust in this God of Israel. It's not what she grew up with. 
She's a new believer, as it were. And so she's trusting Naomi's faith. She's willing to make herself vulnerable with Boaz. She's willing to risk his rejection of her or being discovered by others and scorned for what she's doing. If they didn't, others had known what she was doing, surely she would have been called out. She was a Moabite. But she was willing to go through this strange custom, probably something totally unfamiliar to her, and to risk it all because of Naomi's faith in God. So let's see what happened. Let's pick up the story in verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Now, this was not unusual, by the way. This, this was the threshing of the grain, and this was a time of celebration. This was the end of the harvest, so this is kind of the culmination of everything these, these farmers had been working for. And so the threshing was when they would kind of crush the grain and then be thrown up in the air, you know, so the wind could carry away the chaff, separation of the chaff from the wheat. And so these threshing floors were kind of common areas shared by the farmers up and out in the open where the winds could blow. And so this is the setting for what's going on. And Boaz is in good spirits. He's the landowner. He's, this is his crop. He's brought all this in. And so it's not unusual that he would stay with the crop stay there with the grain to guard it until they'd finished this threshing process. Back to the text. What comes next? Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. I'm thinking maybe his feet got cold, right, in the middle of the night. He turned, it says, and, he, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Now, there's total shock here. He doesn't know who she is. It's dark out, right? So he says, who are you? Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, as a key phrase, pause for just a minute here. I mean, if, if going to Boaz at night and uncovering his feet and laying down there at his feet, if that wasn't risky enough, She's going to ask him this question when he first wakes up out of a dead sleep. What's going on here? What, is this, what does all this mean? Well, there's some real intentional imagery here that you have to kind of catch. So the uncovering of, of Boaz's feet served probably a couple purposes. Practical one meaning he would eventually get cold and wake up. But it also meant that when he got up, when he woke up, it was to cover his feet back up and in doing so would see Ruth and then she would say, cover me too. There's the image. And this phrase of covering with the corner of the garment is actually a phrase used by God. So another passage, Ezekiel 16, 8, God uses that very same phrase to describe his protection and care for his people Israel. He says in that Ezekiel passage, I will cover you with the corner of my garment. This beautiful image of care and protection. And she's asking Boaz for this because he is a kinsman. So remember in the last chapter, Boaz had prayed that Ruth would be richly rewarded by the Lord. He meets her, he finds out the, the strength of her character and what she's doing for Naomi. He says, I want you to be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
That's chapter 2, verse 12. And so now Ruth essentially is asking Boaz, would you be the answer to your own prayer? Would you cover me? He's asking him to spread his wings over her. This was a bold request. This was a risk. And sometimes, you know, God asks us to take steps of faith that involve a risk. Sometimes He asks us to go to the threshing floor, pull back the covers, and see what He is going to do. Now, what does that look like for us? You know, maybe, maybe for you it's getting, just getting on the phone, calling somebody that you haven't talked to for a while. And maybe there hasn't been a conversation because last time you talked, it didn't end very well. Maybe it's a difficult situation, a, a broken relationship, a, a hard call to make. And maybe there's going to be some risk in making that call and trying to restore that relationship. But if that's what God's calling you to do, the step of faith may require some risk. It's often the nature of faith. Or maybe God is asking you to, to offer help to a neighbor. And even that can be risky because you don't know where that might lead. You know what might not know what they'll ask. So there are questions that say, well, I don't know if I should even offer because there's some risk involved. But sometimes that's the step of faith God wants us to take. We've been talking for the last few weeks about our uh, Mission 7118 and with our youth and asking adults to volunteer to come alongside and be an encourager and a prayer partner for our teens here at Trinity. You know, there's some risk in that. That you don't know who you might get paired up with and what, is it going to click and, and what would I say to help that young man or young woman? There's some risk. That's okay. Sometimes a step of faith involves risk. We've been talking about the Samaritan's Purse trip coming up in a week and a half. Let's get real practical here. Maybe you're saying, well, a, a disaster relief right now during COVID, there's some risk involved. There's risk even before COVID to step into these situations and help people in need. Sometimes faith involves a risk. That's the nature of it. And Naomi and Ruth understood that. But God was opening this door, giving them this opportunity to take this step of faith regardless of the risk. And there's something else here too. Because sometimes faith also involves a kindness that's to be offered, a kindness that's to be shown. So when faith involves a kindness, what, what happens then? Well, in the story, there's this moment of tension right now, right? Because where we left it is Ruth talking to Boaz, making this, this request. He's just woken up out of his sleep, finds this woman at his feet, hears that it's Ruth. What's he going to say? How he will, will he respond? And remember here, don't forget, Ruth is a poor widow. She's an alien from an from a enemy country. She has really nothing to offer. She's a gleaner, and she's approaching a landowner with this outlandish proposal. So what does he say? Verse 10, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. So this is probably the best she could have hoped for, right? He, he blesses Ruth. He views her request as a kindness this is that key word. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago. Key word in the book of Ruth. It's the Hebrew word chesed. 
It's got to come way from the back of your throat. You know, you got to kind of scratch it right back there first as it comes out. Chesed. It means loyal love or covenant love, usually referred to God's love for us. But it's also used of human beings when we reflect that love of God in loyalty to others. And it's a word that's been used of Ruth now three chapters in a row. Naomi said it of her when she decided to stay with her, said, you've shown covenant love to me. Boaz used it when he talked to to Ruth about her commitment to Naomi, loyal love that you've shown to her, a kindness. And now he says, what you're offering here is even a greater kindness. Well, how is that? See, Boaz understood that what Ruth was saying to him, the request that she was making, was not in any way looking out for herself. It was not looking out for her own interests, which she could have done. Now, by his request, he says, you know, you could have gone after younger men, which tells us Boaz was older. We don't know how much older, but maybe significantly older than Ruth. He said, you could have gone after some other young Israelite guy, and you could have followed your own dreams. But instead, and here's the key, Ruth instead had chosen to approach him as the kinsman redeemer because that marriage, that relationship would provide for the protection of Naomi's family line and land. Again, we'll see more of this next week, but you need to understand that right here to get the weight of what Ruth is doing. By asking Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer, it would keep the land and the family name in the family. Ruth cared more for the protection and and future of her mother-in-law than she did for herself. That's why this is such a great kindness. This is an act of faith. It's an act of loyal love. So, for us, you know, we don't automatically put faith and kindness together. I mean, we don't necessarily see those two together, but here in our story, it certainly comes together in Ruth. Because for us, there are times when God calls us to step out in faith and to show loyal love, to show kindness to somebody else, even when there might not, might not be anything in return for us, no advantage for us. Sometimes that's the kindness God calls us to. And so Ruth was willing to do that, to step into this relationship out of her loyal love for Naomi. So this was risky, and it was kind. Are we willing to step out in faith to show kindness to others? The story I ran across a couple of years ago kind of starts back in January of 2014. A young lady named Ashley McIntyre overheard her grandmother and her mom talking about this uh, young man named Danny Robinson who had been through a, a really tough, some tough things in his life, and uh, they heard the story on the radio. They didn't know this young man, but they heard the story and were telling her about it. He had lost his home to a fire a couple of years before, lost his dad to cancer the year after that, and now he was, his kidneys were failing. He was in need of a kidney transplant. And so Ashley, just in hearing that story, was suddenly moved to wanting to do something about it, wanting to help. 
She called up the hospital and asked if she could come in and be tested to see if she was a potential donor. So they said, sure, come on in, we'll do the tests. Sure enough, she was a, a, a match. And so they set it all up for the transplant. It was not until a couple months later in March, just before the surgery, the transplant surgery, where they met for the first time. Went through the surgery. It was a successful transplant. She donated her kidney. And then they kept in touch afterwards. And by the end of May, two months later, they started dating. And by December, they were engaged. And a few months later, they were married. Now, she never knew when she took that first step to offer a kidney, she never knew where that would end up a year later. She did it out of kindness because she heard a need and responded to the need. And yet the result was a precious relationship that grew out of it. So, I don't know who it might be that needs the expression of kindness from you. It probably won't involve giving a kidney. It probably won't end up in a marriage. But there may be someone who needs your expression of that loyal love, the kindness of God that you demonstrate without looking for anything in return. God will use that. God will bless that. And He does in the story here. The journey of faith continues for Naomi and Ruth. One more aspect of faith we see here, because sometimes faith requires a wait. What do we do when faith requires a wait? Well, up through verse 12, everything has been looking pretty good, right? The story seems to be unfolding just like it should. Boaz doesn't get cold feet after all. He responds to this request and he is willing to do this, wanting to do this for Ruth and for Naomi. He sees this as a kindness. He doesn't look down on Ruth because she's a Moabite. Ah, but there is a problem. Here it is in verse 12. Boaz says, Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. And so that means in the culture and in this tradition that if there were the closer relative would have first option, first dibs on stepping into the family and marrying Ruth. And so we look at this in the story and we say, well, now wait, what, 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 what now? It seemed like the story was going so well and headed to a good ending, but who is this? Who is this closer kinsman? We don't even know who he is yet. And didn't Naomi know about him before? How did they miss him? What if he, what if he doesn't want to do this? What if he doesn't care about Ruth? What if he's not drawn to her? What if he's not a nice guy like Boaz? All these questions now come into the story. Does this mean this plan is just shot? It's out the window. And here's the parallel to our lives. Because there are times when it seems like we've done everything that God wants us to do. Say, God, I've been obedient. I took a risk for you in faith. I showed kindness, loyalty for you in faith. And now everything's going wrong. It's falling apart. And maybe that's what Ruth is feeling here. Maybe even Boaz is feeling that here. So, wait, what do we do? Well, notice what Boaz does. Next few verses, 13 to 15. 
He's kind of ready with a plan, a backup plan. He promises that if this other kinsman won't redeem, then he will redeem. He'll step in. He'll make sure this happens. He coaches Ruth on how to leave the threshing floor undetected because they're in a little bit of a vulnerable spot. If somebody sees this, especially if this doesn't work out, what are they going to think? So he gives her a plan to get away. He loads her up with 60 pounds of barley that she takes back to Naomi. And so then Ruth goes home. She reports all this to Naomi, who was probably waiting at the door when she came in, wanting to hear, what happened, what happened, what happened? And Ruth tells her the story, how everything went down. She brings this six measures of barley and tells her that Boaz has said, this is significant, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Do you remember what Naomi said when she came back to Bethlehem? She said, I left full, but I've come back empty. God was already restoring. God was already refilling. He was providing. Even with a sack of grain of barley that Ruth brought back to Naomi's home. So, what is going to be required of their faith now? Here's the last step, the last verse, verse 18. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter. Wait till you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So Naomi and Ruth had taken this risk. Ruth had displayed extraordinary kindness, and now faith required them just to wait. Perhaps you've heard about the particular variety of Chinese bamboo tree that if you plant a seed for this tree, you can water it and if you fertilize it for a year, and it won't do anything. It doesn't even sprout. You do that another year, you water, you fertilize, you care for it, and you still won't see anything. It can be up to five years before that seed finally breaks open. But when it does, when it sprouts, this particular bamboo tree grows 90 feet in six weeks (laughs) after doing nothing for five years. It's a true story. I checked it out to make sure this is actual, an actual tree. But what a great lesson in patience to wait, to wait, to wait, and then to suddenly see that extraordinary growth. And this is like faith. Sometimes faith requires us to wait on God, to see the extraordinary, miraculous work of God that will come to those who wait. And perhaps waiting is the greatest test of our faith, right? (laughs) Maybe it's the hardest thing because that's where we depend, must depend completely on the power and the grace and the work of God. When we can't do anything. See, when we're taking a risk, when we're showing a kindness, then we're kind of engaged in the process and, and we can kind of feel like we're doing something for God. We're acting out our faith. But in those moments where we must just sit and wait for Him to do what only He can do, then our faith is tested. I love the way Paul describes the faith fight in Ephesians 6.13. See this verse on the screen. Paul says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. He's saying, yeah, put on the armor, get ready for the fight, do everything that you need to do by faith, but ultimately, there will come a time when you must stand and wait and watch God fight for you. 
And that takes faith too. And next week we're going to find out what God did while Naomi and Ruth were watching and waiting. They didn't have to wait very long. They didn't have to wait five years like for a bamboo tree. God moves in extraordinary ways. <clears throat> this is the faith walk, friends. This, is, this is, should be our, our daily experience as Christians. If you're walking by faith, it means sometimes you need to be willing to take a risk. If you're walking by faith, it means you need to be looking for those opportunities to show the kindness of God, the loyal love of God to others. If you're living by faith, it means sometimes there will be times when you have to stop and wait on God. And having done everything, you stand and you trust God to work. Our elders met for a meeting yesterday morning on Zoom, and we started the meeting by just sharing some of our memories of Don Harris, our co-worker who passed last week, and I just wanted to be remembering him and uh, praying for his family. And so, as part of the sharing of those memories, someone talked about how Don loved it when his grandkids would come up here to Big Canoe and he got to take them fishing. He told me lots of times stories about that. And you know, in, in doing that, it's a great example of the faith we're talking about this morning. Because if you're taking kids anywhere near water, there's some risk involved. <laughs> and it's worth the risk because of the joy and what that they're, they're doing together. But there is some risk. But it was also an act of great kindness. Here he is, his grandfather, pouring into his grandkids, giving of himself to them. They're being blessed right now because of those memories and those times together with their grandfather. But in going out there and going fishing, there was also some waiting. That's kind of the nature of fishing, right? Put the line in and you have to wait. So in this example of our brother Don, there's an example of the faith we saw today. There's a risk, there's a kindness, and there's a waiting that's involved if we're willing to live by faith, to step out in faith. And why is this so important? Why is the faith life our calling? Because of Jesus. Because that's what He asks of us, to come to Him by faith. And because Jesus took the greatest risk to show us the greatest kindness and to demonstrate for us the greatest patience in waiting on us to respond to Him, that's why we must live by faith. And this table, the communion that we'll celebrate in just a few minutes is a reminder of that. It points us to Him, Jesus. As we've said throughout this book, and we'll see even more next week, Jesus, the ultimate Redeemer, the one who's bought us back, the one who is restoring us, the one who for eternity will care and provide for us because of the cross. If you're here this morning and you're not sure you have that faith relationship with the Lord Jesus, that's the most important decision of your life. That's what you need right now, today. Responding to Him and receiving His gift of life through faith. If you know Him already and you're walking in faith, then today's passage is a reminder to us that we walk by faith, 
Sometimes taking a risk. Sometimes showing kindness. And sometimes waiting on God to move. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we thank you for this, this passage, this story, this reminder of what it means to walk and live by faith. And thank you that you are the focus of the story because you are the great provider. You are the one who is doing the restoring in the midst of it all. You are the great redeemer. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning we would respond in faith to you. And Lord Jesus, we would see you as our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, and our Redeemer. And we would walk by faith with you this day and each day because of your great loyal love to us. Because you endured the risk and pain of the cross. And because you wait on us to come to you by faith and follow you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.